Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 382 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron, and I am thrilled that you are here with me today as we are talking to Shay Galloway, who was a delight. You're going to love this interview. We talk a lot about many things, but especially about how not to show everything. And I think you're going to find that fascinating and inspiring. So stick around for that. What's been going on around here? I'm home. I am home by the hair on my chin chin chin. Uh, I had pre-populated, you know, shows, as you may have heard, if you've been listening, to go up while I was gone. And I even pre-planned one to go after I got back last week uh, because I thought I would be tired. And uh, then I didn't come back because we got COVID. <sighs> but before I get there, I will say that the trip was fantastic. It was truly fantastic. It was two solid weeks of doing it right this time instead of doing it so wrong as I did the year before. Uh, We did have a spreadsheet for the calendar that family could look into and pull times from and do things, but I kept most of the calendar as open as I possibly could. And that made all the difference. Uh, We saw Tons of family, tons of friends. We had one open house party that only went a few hours and people came over and we sat outside and it was lovely. And I had plenty of lunches and dinners and snacks and coffees with people that I love, but it was really mostly unplanned, mostly spontaneous, which suits me so much better. Could I have filled morning, noon, and night with things to do? with people that I care about? Yes. Did I? No. I kind of just took the hit. I just knew that I wouldn't be able to see everyone I wanted to see or do everything that I wanted to do. So we made a list of the things that we wanted to get done. And some of those things, excuse me, were minor, like going to get the, well, this is not minor. This is major. It's actually the first thing that goes on the list. So I know you won't be surprised to hear that I wanted that burrito from Taqueria Cancun in the mission, as well as the tacos, but that burrito, oh my God. And it was, we got it. It was the platonic ideal of the perfect mission burrito. Let's just take a moment and think about that uh, burrito. But other things that went on the list were important, like seeing our old cat Waylon. And some of them were not that important, like um, going to Target, and looking at underwear. So we made this list of things to do to fit in whenever we wanted to, whenever it felt like we felt like it. And when we had these open mornings or open afternoons, we would look at the list and say, what do we feel like doing? Or do you just want to sit on the couch and not do anything? I had downtime. I had downtime to sit and play my little game on my phone and listen to a podcast and It was awesome. Did I have time to write? No, I did not. I didn't have the brain cells, the brain space to do any writing. And I am hopelessly behind and absolutely terrified. I'm on deadline for a book and deadline for an article, um, neither of which I have no idea. I have have no idea how I'm going to get this done. But I'm also just trying not to worry about that, just letting things happen and unfold in their own time, which is what we did on this trip. And it was magnificent. It was absolutely magnificent. Oh, it was so good. And then we packed up our Airbnb where we stayed for the full two weeks. We didn't move around. We had everybody come to us. Um, 
And we packed up the Airbnb. We had to be out by 11 a.m. And then we didn't have to be at the airport till seven that night, six that night. So we were going to spend time with my sister who didn't stay with us, but the sister who had been staying with us that, that for those two weeks, my little sister, woke up feeling a little crook. So she took a COVID test and there was the faintest positive on it. Like so faint that line was almost not there, but she says, I don't feel good about this. And um, I woke up with a tightness in my chest and none of us have had COVID. N- me, Lala, my sister, Bethany, this was, this, as I say, long time listener, first time caller. Uh, and then, so we drew with our stuff in the cars we drove to three different pharmacies looking for COVID tests because I'm sure you've heard of the COVID explosion that's been going on everywhere. Couldn't find tests anywhere. Finally found tests, tested in a parking lot. And there we both came up, all three of us came up instantly with bright red COVID positive lines, which, which oh, it was so difficult because Bethany and I especially, uh, Lala basically had a what felt to her like a bad cold, but Bethany and I got very sick very fast. Um, Bethany with a high fever, uh, me with a fever, just absolutely miserable within half an hour of this happening, coughing, pain, everything. But we had to uh, swing into disaster mitigation. So when somebody who is not from the United States goes to the United States to travel I mean, think about it. The United States is kind of a terrifying place to go because the whole world knows that if you get hurt or injured or you have to do anything, you have to see a doctor for any reason, you might end up paying thousands of dollars or more, tens of thousands of dollars. So when you travel to the United States, it is a very good idea to buy trip insurance. We bought medical insurance and trip insurance for this, which um, we've done both of the times we've gone back to visit. It's about $800, but it's just the cost. You know, it's just like an additional cost to your trip because you need to have it. Last time, of course, we didn't use it at all. This time it immediately came into play um, because I needed to see, we needed to see doctors um, in order to flip the switch on this trip insurance. We had to go to a doctor and get a verified positive test, not just a rapid test done in the parking lot of a CVS. Um, we had to get a letter that says, I'm the doctor. These people can't fly. And they're not fit to fly until X date, which was just so hard to try to figure out when we didn't have a doctor. We didn't know where to go. Um, but we ended up going to this great place who did all this for us. And I guess it makes sense because I don't want people saying, oh, you know what? I got COVID and then lying about it and staying an extra week because basically the, the travel insurance then picked up the cost of where we were going to stay and all of the additional expenses that had to come into play at that point. But to suddenly have to figure out where we're going to stay, getting to a doctor, um, returning the rental car, which had been broken into because, uh, yeah, because that's been happening a lot lately in uh, where I'm from, Um, figuring out our own car on the other end, which had only been, we'd only been allowed to leave it in the long-term parking until the date we were coming back. And that wasn't going to happen. Our dog was in boarding and it's very hard to get her into this boarding place. So what were we going to do if the boarding place couldn't take her? Doing all of those bureaucratic things while feeling like total ass was just not the most fun thing I've ever done. But a friend came in clutch. She was out of town, let us stay at her house for a few days while we sorted things out. And then we moved to an Airbnb. And y'all, this is the very long-winded point that I'm trying to get to here, is that 
this happened on our last day. So we added an extra week to our trip. We hoped that we could test negative and feel better within a week. And it was just a guess, but it did turn out that way. We all got Paxlovid um, because all of us have pre-existing conditions, which uh, we needed it. So we got the Paxlovid in us and that that worked well. Um, and within three days, we were all feeling much better. Uh, Bethany and I still felt crappy. Lala felt almost well. And here's the thing is that then we just had to rest. And I had seven days, six and a half days of lying in a bed, watching television on my iPad, listening to podcasts. I didn't do much reading because here's the thing. When I read, I read for enjoyment and I read a lot, but I can't ever turn my brain off when I'm reading. It's always, I'm always working a little bit. It's very rare that I can read a book that just turns my brain off with pure pleasure. And I just wanted relaxation. So I watched all 18 episodes of Welcome to Wrexham, which is the incredible docudrama, true story of Ryan Reynolds and, oh, what's his name? Rob McElhaney buying a Welsh soccer club and trying to take it up the ranks. Um, so that was great. I watched a bajillion episodes of Virgin River because that was the absolute problem that my brain required. I needed something soft and sweet. Oh, I did watch all of Deadlock, which was not soft or sweet, but was hilarious and truly phenomenal. If you enjoy funny murder shows set in Australia with a very strong feminist hilarity, please go watch Deadlock, L-O-C-H. Um, and I just laid there and relaxed. And I have to say, and this is, you know, my high positivity, I'm sure, but I just enjoyed the hell out of it. I hated feeling so crappy, but um, once the Paxlovid was in us and I knew that we weren't going to end up in the hospital, I was just like, okay, we're sick. I'm just going to relax. And I never have six and a half days to lie around and read. Even if we were to go to, say, Hawaii or Fiji or something like that, and we said, we're going to lie on the beach and read, I wouldn't be able to do that. I would lie on the beach and read for one hour, and then I'd want to go snorkeling or something this we couldn't. We just had to have food delivered to us. All three of us were sick and we just rested. We barely talked to each other. I had my headphones in most of the time. It was awesome, y'all. It was awesome. It was a true, it was a true vacation. And I have been so scared of getting COVID because of my pre-existing conditions. And it happened and I'm okay. And then on Monday, we were due to leave. All three of us text tested negative. It was one week later. We packed up that Airbnb and then we flew. That was yesterday. Uh, we had a nice 30-hour day. I didn't sleep on the plane. Um, it was it was really, really not advised. It's not the best thing I've ever done. It's not the most fun I've ever had to travel around the world, stay over 30 hours and work really hard because you know travel is really, really hard work. Um <laughs> <laughs> and then get home. But then we went and picked up Junebug. And honestly, we missed almost a month of her uh, for reasons she had to go into care a couple days before we left. So we hadn't seen her in three and a half weeks. We missed almost a month of her being a puppy, which I can recommend because now she is 11 months old and um, she is seeming a little bit calmer. I don't know, but it was just so heartfelt full to see her, to pick her up. I was nervous. I had butterflies. Like I was going on a first date with somebody. I was so worried that she wouldn't know us or love us. And the funniest thing was we were waiting in the line 
um, at the bus because this bus comes down off the hill and delivers all the dogs to their people. And we were waiting at the end of the line and somebody in front of us got their dog and another dog ran out and ran right to us. And it was Junebug. She had, I don't know, used her lockpicks to open the cage that she was in. The employee who drives the bus was mortified, said that she has never seen that happen. Somehow it didn't latch right. And Junebug just got out of the bus and came to us. And we had like a soldier's reunion. Like we'd gone off to war and we're her people and people in the line were just like, look at those in love dog with her two people. It was wonderful. And um, that was that was lovely. And I mentioned that we went and saw our old cat, Waylon, uh, who was too old to make the trip safely. And we did not think that he would live as long as he did. We saw him. He looked old and then he died yesterday. So um, I'm so glad that we got to see him. I'm not even letting my brain go there because I don't feel like crying, but he had an incredible last two years of his life with three children who loved him so much. And he died of the same thing that uh, his brother died of too. We just were so glad that he was there. So I don't know, just feels like a lot of things happened. I'm really tired. Oh, um, Lala and I both woke up this morning after traveling for 30 hours yesterday, uh, feeling like crap again. And we're having the Paxlovid rebound. So now we are both symptomatic again and we're both testing positive. So we don't feel that great, but honestly, now we both feel like it's a cold. Um, so we're back in quarantine and, you know, for a few days till we start tasting negative again. And we just have to stay here with our beautiful dog in the sunshine. And I can tell you what, Lala is in bed right now and I've just been enjoying, she's feeling a little bit worse than me this time. Um, so I've just been enjoying all morning fussing over her because it's so much nicer to be sick in your own home than it is to be sick trying to find a place to stay and then trying to fit into that place to stay. And we're so fortunate. All of this is just good fortune and great privilege that we were able to take care of ourselves during this time. Um, But this morning I made toast for Lala from bread that we had delivered from the grocery store. And we used our own toaster and I'm pouring her own coffee from her own coffee maker into her mug. And it's just been delightful. So I don't know. I'm maybe the happiest person who's ever had COVID. I'm so thrilled to be home. I'm looking at the laundry on the line. It's such a brilliant, bright, spring, sunny, windy morning. I am absolutely in love with this town. We couldn't believe that we're back in Wellington. We missed it so much. We love being in our home. I'm just overwhelmed with gratitude. And that is what I wanted to tell you about. I'm just overwhelmed with gratitude to be back at my desk and also to be trying to remember and learning that I need to rest. Right before I recorded this, I laid down in the bed with Lala and we had a little nap with the dog. And after I do this, I might do that again. And then I'm going to do Rachel Says Right for two hours and maybe get some writing done, which I really need to do. And then I'm going to take the rest of the day off at 2 p.m. when Rachel Says Right ends. And I'm just going to rest some more because resting, relaxing, watching dumb shows on your iPad, playing dumb games on your phone while listening to awesome podcasts is so important. Sitting in the sun is important. Writing is and always will be important to us, to me and to you. You listen to this show because writing is important 
to you. It is part of your heart. But let me assure you that there are times and seasons in your life where you get less writing done and that's okay. It doesn't make you any less of a writer. It means that we, when we feel better, when we come out of those periods, we make a goal, a small goal, and we move toward it. And then usually we fail to hit it. And then we make another small goal and we keep moving forward. And at the same time, when we miss those goals, we can be grateful and happy that we're even in a place to try to make a goal. You know what I mean? There are times in our lives where we won't be able to make any goals. So if you are in the space, the place to make a little writing goal for yourself right now, oh my gosh, isn't that incredible? That's incredible that you can do that in your life. So make that goal. Try to hit it, whatever it is, writing for five minutes or writing for 45 minutes or whatever it is that you've decided that you want to do. And then give yourself grace and give yourself a big pat on the back for knowing that you are a writer, for knowing that this is important to you. So let's just get into this interview. Um, Thank you for listening to my long-winded welcome home quelling. I'm just so thrilled. I'm just looking out the window at Junebug lying in the sun underneath my laundry. (laughs) So good. Okay. Um, Here is Shay's bio. A writer of slightly off-kilter and historically interested fiction and contemplative nonfiction, Shay Galloway began journaling and writing stories as soon as she knew how to hold a pencil and before she even knew she wanted to be a writer. She studied creative writing at Utah State University and received her bachelor's degree in 2012. She received her MFA from Roosevelt University in 2017. Her short work has appeared in Adana, The Right Launch, and Literary Mama. Her debut novel, The Valley of Sage and Juniper, was released this year with Running Wild Rise Press. She is currently an adjunct professor of English in Washington State, where she resides with her husband and son. Now, please enjoy this interview. Please make a little goal for your writing. Please get a little bit of work done if you're in a place to do that, and I'd love to hear about it if you are doing that. Um, So here we go. Enjoy. Thanks for being here, my friends. Hey, would you like to come write with me, with my writing community? At Rachel Says Write, we write together twice a week, every Monday and Wednesday from 5 to 7 Pacific Time, 8 to 10 Eastern Time. We say hi and chat the tiniest little bit, and then together we write. It's truly magical the amount of words we get done together. You want to check it out with a week's free trial to see how it might work for you? Just go to rachelheron.com, Rachel Says Write, to join us. Well, I'm so pleased to welcome you to the show today. Will you please share your name and your pronouns with us? I am Shay Galloway and I go by she, her. Thank you, Shay. I'm thrilled to have you. Your debut book just came out recently, didn't it? Yep. Uh, two months ago. Can you tell us, this wasn't on the list of questions, but can you tell us how that feels <laughs> to have your first book out? Uh, yeah, it's... um. There was a lot that sort of happened all at once when it came out. So it sort of, I feel like I'm still processing it, but um, it's so it still kind of surprises me when people are like, oh, I read your book. And they'll ask me questions about it. And I'm like, oh, I guess people are, <laughs> I guess it really is out there and other people are reading it and not like the one friend that <laughs> reads <Yes>. all this stuff. <laughs> That's a really good point because for most of our lives up until that point, like anyone who reads our work is doing that with our permission. And then mm-hmm. once your book is out there, you can't get permission anymore. Anybody could just pick it up and read it. That is, that can be super unnerving. So it's kind of surreal. I mean, it's not, 
it was a very small press and so it yeah. like hasn't really picked up um sort of like release week was kind of wild and then like now things have slowed down again um and so I'm just kind of like oh yeah it's out there. <laughs> that I I will honestly I believe that is not because it's with a small press it's because it's mm-hmm. just a book out there in the world mm-hmm. big big huge yes. traditional publisher presses like they same thing happens the same thing happens and then I was actually just writing about this like how it feels to have a book come out and then just have to go back to real life <laughs> you know it can be it can be complicated there's there's so much sort of like a lot of layered emotions before your book comes out and then like you're anxious and you're nervous and excited and like and then it comes out and you're just like, I, I'm done. I get like, I mean, you're, just, you're never mm-hmm. really done, but it's like, well, before that you're doing so much editing and perfecting it. And then you just yeah. are like, I just have to let it go. <laughs> I guess it's sort of like, I, I only am a three-year-old, but I'm assuming that's kind of what it's like when you have a child that goes off to college. You're just like, yeah, I guess yeah. it's just over. Like I've done this part and now it's, out in the world (laughs) maybe but that child will you know hopefully keep changing and growing and learning and you know evolving as a human being whereas our books don't evolve anymore they just they just kind of like no they're done I remember my very first reading I ever did in public I was reading from my book and I found a typo one second (laughs) real life and three-year-olds in the background is great yeah no I found a a typo in the printed book in the published book Mm -hmm. while I was at a reading I was like oh can't change it that's just what it is yeah okay. no I have done that too I've looked and been like oh that's a typo but oh. <laughs> can you share a little bit of, with us about your writing process how do you get it done with uh you are teaching you've got a three-year-old real life uh yeah I um I'm very slow so I I don't write a book in here I'm maybe lucky to get a book in a two years. Mm-hmm. Um, I now, since, you know, my son was born, I mostly stick to like nap times, um, which is like a couple of hours in the afternoon. Um, so it's, yeah, <laughs> really only have a couple of hours for that. Um, and then like, just, I'm, I'm not an everyday writer and I never have been. So I very much, I'm like, I have to schedule it now. Um, and yeah, so it's like, I do that. And then on weeks that like grading papers, especially like finals week, I don't do a lot of writing because I'm very focused on doing that. And so, um, yeah, I do that. I tend to start with writing by hand. I usually draft everything Mm. by hand the first time, um, sort of chapter by chapter. Yeah. Chapter by chapter though. Um, and so like, once I feel like I've got essentially a chapter, I'll type it up uh, and then kind of go through that. Um, yeah. I, and then I, I also now have like a mechanical keyboard, like Bluetooth keyboard that like looks like a little typewriter so I can hear the clickety clack and that just makes it feel nice and very official. Uh, (laughs) uh, yeah. And so I do that and then I'll usually write a whole draft, um, which, that first draft might take me anywhere from about a year to write on average, um, a year to a year and a half. And then I set it away for a couple of weeks, um, generally about four weeks. Uh, don't even look at it. 
Um, then I'll print it out and uh, read through it sort of just like as a reader, um, make a few notes as I go through um, and then I'll read through it again and uh, make some pretty deeper notes. Uh, yeah, and then start to edit it from there on the computer uh, and like have people read it. So that's generally like a getting a draft done. Like are you are you plotting as you go or are you pretty much pantsing it your way through? I mostly pants. Um, I, yeah, I mostly pants. It's I think I'm maturing into a plotter, though. <laughs> I I do like I have always sort of thrown down a lot of uh, like a skeleton plot. I'll be like, okay, this thing needs to happen. Often when I start with a story, I start with a beginning and I have an end in mind. The end usually is always the thing that I have. For mm. some reason, that's always the last image is the thing that I get first. Um, wow. And so generally I'm like, okay, I just need to think of like, what things do I need to hit in order to get from A to Z? Right. Um, and I'll have sort of a skeleton outline, which is literally like bullet points mm-hmm. on a sheet of paper. Um, and then, yeah. I usually don't don't plot like for real unless I get stuck. Uh, and um, but yeah, I I actually have a book, a couple of books that I would like to write that I have actually sat down and like drafted like beats and like all that. So it'll be interesting to write it. Um, so I'll see. Yeah, it's oh, a, that's cool. plotting is a new experience for me that. I'm, yeah, I'm like, oh, I this feels weird. I think we're all kind of on, most of us, some of us are one or the other, but I think most of us are on the spectrum somewhere. We do a little mm-hmm. bit of this and a little bit of that. And um, yeah, what is your biggest challenge when it comes to writing? Uh, I think sometimes just doing it. Like, I like sometimes I get to where I'm like, I just don't want to write like I just want to watch tv Mm -hmm. I just want to sit and do nothing uh so sometimes like I think that's usually it is like I'll just I just need a break and I'm like I want to not use my brain for a little while that may be the realest answer anyone has ever given to that question usually they're (laughs) like oh you know the crafting of the character which is you know great answer but my biggest challenge is I just don't want to do it I would rather Mm -hmm. do something else yeah. I mean I love it I love I doing love it, it too why I do it yeah. but it's like sometimes I'm just like I it's, need to I need to do something else <laughs> especially when you have a brain high yeah. CPU usage job going mm. on on the other side what is your biggest joy when it comes to writing um I actually really love other people getting to read it uh maybe I just have kind of like a celebrity complex or something I don't know but I love I just love like when other people read it and then they like praise me for it of course but like I just love when other people connect to it like I had a friend who just uh messaged me and she was like this is the most I've ever felt seen about growing up in the Rocky Mountains <laughs> I was like yeah what a wonderful thing to say and allowing yourself to feel it and enjoy it is so 
important. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Awesome. Can you share a craft tip of any sort with us? Um, I, I think one thing is um, trust your readers are going to be able to fill in some of those gaps. Um, so don't try to write everything. Uh, as, as a professor, I get a lot of students, right, that very early on, very young, try to write just like too much. <laughs> uh, it's like, you don't, you don't need to have, you know, you don't need to have this, the person being in the car, driving, getting, you know, opening the door, walking getting through out, the parking walking lot. through, yeah, like, you don't, <laughs> you can fill in, they can fill in the gaps. Um, you trust that your readers are gonna, that they're smart. And if not, they're gonna stop reading your book and read something else. <laughs> um, so yeah. that is, uh, something kind of goes through. And I say that with the asterisk of, I don't know how to write a short book though. Um, everything I write ends up being over a hundred thousand words. So, <laughs> um, I, I guess take that with a grain of salt, but yeah, you don't need to write everything. <laughs> it's one of those things I think that is, re- I am exactly like you. I am an overwriter <laughs> forever. Um, but it's one of those things that is so nice to try to remember. And then also not be hurt when your editor comes back and says, you don't need this. You don't need this. You don't need this. You're like, oh yeah, I don't. I could have seen that. I didn't see it. Yeah. I, there, There is on the flip side where they're like, well, I don't get this. And it's like, well, sometimes it's not for that person to get. Somebody who's going to get it will get it and it's meant for them. And some, the people who aren't going to get it, it's not for them. Exactly. And allowing readers to, to self-sort, mm-hmm. I think is really, really important. Yeah. Allowing that they're smart enough to do that as well. I love that. What is the kindest thing that anyone's ever done for you in your writing career? Um, probably, I can think of most recently, um, I was querying agents a few months ago and one one past she was like well I think the I think the story I think the writing is really good I don't think it's for me but they did recommend me to another agent um within their agency and like I think that they would do much better um I think they would like it a lot more um I didn't end up going with that agent but uh and I have since learned that that's like actually a really common thing, but I was like, that's just so sweet that you would like, you think that I'm so like, you, you like me enough to be like, I think that you have potential. I'm going to give you to somebody that would be better for you. I don't, Um, I don't know if it's that really, I don't know if it's a common thing. I think it might be a common thing for people, you know, who are good writers because you're surrounded by good writers, but, but agents passing a book to another agent in the agency, they have to believe in your work in that book. Pretty pretty substantially because even if it's not for them, because they're not going to waste their colleagues time. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's really cool and really beautiful. That's yeah. So that was, it's just really nice. And that's the most recent thing I can think of. So you sold then uh, the Valley of Sage and Juniper without an agent. Is that right? Uh, yes, that is correct. Uh, um, yeah. I went with a small press for that one. Um, and I'm working on a second book with an agent. So it was sort of, it all happened kind of right at the same time, like the Valley of Sage and Juniper came out and like in that same month, I also was querying and like got an agent. Uh, so it was sort of a lot <laughs> that happened at once, um, which is like, I, 
I'm aware like this is an absolute unicorn thing to happen, but like I was like, yeah, I, like I had a book come out and then people were like, oh, you have an agent. Like, what's your agent doing with this book? I'm like, nothing, because that's not how agents work. But Right. No, if she, if she didn't sell your book, then that's not her book to ever work on. That. And so you would have had to do all the negotiations. Did you have somebody help you with the contract or a literary a lawyer look at it or how did you handle that? Um, no, I, I did read through the, um, I read through the, the contract and it was like pretty clear. It didn't have too much legalese. I also was like, well, maybe again, my little like God complex here, but I was like, I'm an English professor. I can understand legal, like legal contracts. Um, but when I read through it, there wasn't anything that like was a flag for me. Um, I had sort of compared it to other example contracts. Um, and Good. so nothing really like, stood out to me. Um, and you get to keep 100% of that money. I maybe would suggest that for everyone <laughs> or advise that everyone join. I would say like, um, like the Authors Guild has people that will look over contracts for you. Um, but so maybe not, not for everyone. Uh, and we've heard horror stories. So I just kind of like look out, but like, make sure that you do the due diligence. <laughs> <laughs> what is the kindest thing that you've ever done for yourself as a writer? Um, I think just giving myself the permission to do it. Uh, it can be really easy to just think like, oh, this isn't, it's not lucrative. So I'm just not going to worry about it right now. Or like, especially um, women and mothers, we tend to do this where we like, okay, this isn't, I'm not, this isn't providing anything for me or my family. Uh, it's not important. So I'm going to just like put it away or put it on the back burner. Um, and then I think on top of that, also, I came from quite a low income blue collar background. And so like pursuing art was like, it's well and good. You have a hobby, but like, you can't dedicate too much time to it because you got to put food on the table. Um, and art doesn't tech, you know, doesn't, isn't the most stable of, yeah. of, you know, bringing home the bacon. Um, and so like, I just, yeah, giving myself the permission to like pursue it, um, with dedication. And I think that's sort of been the kindest thing I've done for me. I, I do also have a partner who is very supportive of it. Um, and so that, also, it's a big help. I guess that's another kind thing someone's done for me is just like been supportive. Uh, I think he has sold more books than I have uh, for me. So that's he's so very cute. much like, oh, he's, he's definitely one of the husbands that's like, my wife wrote a book and was like handing them out to people who don't even read. He's like, you have to have this book anyway. <laughs> that is adorable. And the combination of you two, like him, him supporting you, but then in, in that, but also you giving yourself to, I think you said to have to, to the permission to have that with, um, with dedication, with, mm -hmm. with drive, you gave that to yourself. That's really, really great. May I ask you, what is the best book that you've read recently? And why did you love it? Um, I think one that I keep coming back to, I've read a lot of books, but, um, I might here is, um, Homegoing by Yad Yassi. Mm -hmm. And it's I, like, I keep meaning to read that one and keep forgetting to. So yeah, thank you for reminding me again. Yeah. Um, 
for those who don't know, it's a multi-generational family saga, um, sort of about two lines um, of an African family, uh, one that ends up in America um, under the slave trade and one that stays in Africa during uh, colonization. Um, So, and I just think it's really great. Every chapter is a new person Mm. and somehow it still feels like so cohesive and like I don't know I don't know how she did it like it just Mm. um, I'm just enthralled by like it doesn't feel like often like a lot of different you know when you have separate chapters for people it often feels like a collection of short stories Mm. and it doesn't feel like that it feels like a full novel um so I'm just like really impressed by it (laughs) Oh, the way you present that, I didn't know it was written in that uh, that sort of mm-hmm. narrative. And I know that it lives on my Kindle, so I will be pulling mm-hmm. that up next to read. Thank you for that. And speaking of books, will you please tell us a little bit about your book? Yeah, so my book, um, Valley of Sage and Juniper, it is set in the 1930s in the Rocky Mountain West um, here in the U.S. Um, and it is about two sisters Genesis and Isaiah, um, and a mysterious preacher uh, comes through town and uh, starts essentially a cult. I don't think they would have used the word cult uh, back at the in that day and age, um, but he essentially starts a cult, uh, which their mom joins. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's happening, and there's the Great Depression is also happening, um, and they learn that this cult leader also wants to take their ranch and also wants their land um and so most of the book is them trying to navigate womanhood and uh keeping their ranch out of this guy's hands um and so it's yeah it spans about 15 years uh, um and it's just a, a west a literary western is how I like to describe it yes it's a feminist historical literary western that sounds amazing <laughs> wow and it can be found everywhere fine books are sold or order in mm-hmm. a bowl where can we find you on the internet I am on Instagram at the gallo cat um I am kind of not the most cohesive person on Instagram but <laughs> I'm there. Uh, I am also on Twitter at the Gallo Cat. That is all over the place. Um, I'm sometimes funny, sometimes political, uh, mostly sassy. Um, And then I also have a TikTok, but I don't get on it very much. Um, And then uh, what what am I on there? I think I'm Shay Gallo Cat on TikTok. And then I have a website, just just shaygalloway.com. Perfect. It has been a joy to talk to you. Thank you so much for being here. Your little one was so good. I loved his little voice. I was actually hoping for a little bit more participation. So he's got a tablet. We definitely oh. are yeah. purveyors of screen time. Screen time. <laughs> screen time is, is, is I, I have a puppy right now and I wish there was a version of screen time, I swear. But they have yeah. dog, they have dog, like they have tv or something. they do have dog tv and she wants to attack the tv she will just go right <laughs> through it it's not we tried it <laughs> maybe on maybe on an ipad she couldn't hurt that anyway mm-hmm. thank you so much for being here shay i did not it's mean to compare your child to a dog by the way having a child oh, is four hundred thousand times <laughs> million times he pretends he pretends to be a dog a lot honestly okay all right <laughs> sometimes he wants to be a dog 
<laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show. And I wish you very happy writing and continued success. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends.